Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 62. It has been a couple weeks, but it is good to be back. I was about to say, really, they should be welcoming us back, you know, from our little hiatus. Yeah, I'll have you all know vacation was absolutely fantastic. Enjoyed every second of it. Except for those few seconds at that one point, but otherwise... Excellent. <laughs> Otherwise, pretty good. I mean, you were in Washington, D.C., correct? Among other places, yeah. We went to the East Coast for sister's wedding, went to D.C., went to North Carolina, Virginia. But D.C. is the most political place we went, yes, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say, you you come away with any exotic uh, political diseases? <laughs> yes, I I actually caught CRT while I was out there, but there is a treatment and I'm, I'm doing better. <laughs> One of my favorite Babylon B articles is the one that said, uh, uh, new theory suggests, uh, what was it? CRT escaped from, uh, from a <laughs> philosophy department in a university or something. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but it was obviously See, mocking C- the COVID CRT loudly. is so good because it sounds like it's a disease. You know, it sounds like something <laughs> yeah. you'd get. It does. It does with that, that abbreviation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of news that we've missed, some interesting things, uh, some substantial things, some just fun things. And we're going to run through some of those before we get into our primary topic today that we're going to dig into a little more. One of which is news that, as of this moment, is very new, that Trump has a new media company Mm -hmm. that he's going to be rolling out very soon. Right. Some it'll it'll involve social media, some news. Uh, I think there's a, a video platform of sorts that might be subscription-based. this point, I'm just hearing rumors and haven't read too much about it myself. But but it's big news. Uh, it could, I think, of how it will, will shift the power dynamic of, of the various news organizations and social media platforms. Um, well, and we were we talking ha- about this. We were talking about this right. yesterday, Dan, about the fact that why hasn't, you know, why hasn't this already been done, right? You know, there was... Right. The the social media censoring has been such a big deal the past year and a half, especially for conservatives, that really more than anything, we were surprised that the conservative groups didn't make more of a push to create their own network. I mean, you've got you've got the Daily Wire, which which they are trying to build something up there. You know, you've uh-huh. got you've got other smaller companies, you know, you've got like Glenn Beck's The Blaze and Network and all of that, but that's been around for years and it's right. it's not nothing. It is it is very substantial, but it's also very small. Or maybe not very small, but it is small. Right. And and so I think what's interesting with this is that Trump still has a surprising following and a very loyal following and that puts him in a unique position of being able to, from day one of this new company, to have an incredibly large start, you know, basically jumpstart that whole yes. process that none yeah. of these other groups have been able to do. Because there are yeah. so many people, so many conservatives who have two things going for them. One, they still believe in Trump. And two, they're very fed up with current media. And I think that's going to be more than enough for millions of people which is huge to make the switch to leave Facebook and go over to, to, to Trump's new new media company. Right. Especially this the social media aspect. We we've talked about this a couple of times where mm-hmm. like there there was Parler, there's been a variety of others um that have tried to compete with Facebook. 
none of them had the momentum or the, the, the sufficient backing and to, to get that big influx that, of people who would, who, yes. And, right, and right. it's, and it's one of the things about social media, especially because, you know, Daily Wire and, and The Blaze, those are mostly media outlets in terms of like news, which is very yes. different with social media. Social media only works if other people are on it. You know, you have to hit a critical mass. And that's part of why Facebook has been so successful and it's been so hard to compete with it because it already has that critical mass. And to reach that critical mass on a brand new network is just difficult. It is. It is. It takes something big. And, and that's where we, we've talked about this a lot behind behind the scenes of, of, of the inability of people who dislike the state of things to coordinate amongst themselves mm -hmm. to make that happen. Cause it really doesn't matter which thing they move to as long as enough of them move to it. Right. You could, you could get all of the pundits of a particular uh, political stripe who can see that and could push it right and make mm -hmm. it happen. Mm -hmm. and, and that just hasn't happened. The closest that's that the closest, the thing with the most momentum was parlor. And Amazon pulled the plug on it through the servers and things, which, I mean, for good reason, as far as a threat to, to what they think is concerned, because uh, this would make a huge difference. This, yeah. If this works, it will, it changes uh, a ton of things. It changes politics for the foreseeable future. If this works at the news level, it could outcompete groups like Fox News, who are have been bleeding out for some time now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, uh, but there could be a new, a new King in town as far as, uh, e even when it's not viewers, like it's interesting to look at podcasts versus news stations, right? Podcasts often have way bigger followings. Uh, you get people like Joe Rogan, who's bigger than any news station. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and that imbalance keeps going in the favor of the, of the podcasts and the, in the, the private shows, the, as people have described it, the gatekeepers of public attention are gone. You can now yeah. just make stuff. No, and that's, and that was something else we were going to talk about that I think this is a great segue to yeah. is, is Joe Rogan's exchange with, with CNN with a, with a Dr. Gupta. And, and, you know, he went on his show and they talked for three hours and I haven't listened to it yet. I was too busy on the beach and, you know, looking at the Lincoln Memorial <laughs> or Lincoln so Monument, busy. whichever one it is, the Lincoln M. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it, it was, it's fascinating. And in many ways is this, is this demonstration of what you're talking about, Dan, that, that CNN and Fox News and ABC, they don't hold all the cards anymore. You know, the, the right. fact that, that Gupta went on Joe Rogan's show in the first place when CNN already knows they're diametrically opposed to Joe Rogan is evidence of the fact that CNN understands the power that Joe Rogan has, that CNN yeah. is not this huge juggernaut and Joe Rogan's this small pipsqueak in terms of employees. Sure. But in terms of viewership, in terms of influence, in, in many ways they have become peers, you know? And so CNN has to respect Joe Rogan. And the, the fact that they went on his show is, is showing that it is demonstrating that fact. Right. Right. The, the dispute for those of you who haven't seen it, is about ivermectin, mm -hmm. which we talked about. And we, we mentioned that, uh, the CDC had put out that it was a horse dewormer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, you're not a dog. You're not a horse. Don't put this in your body, but it's, uh, 
but it was a people medicine that won a Nobel Prize for <laughs> for not for ivermectin, obviously. Well, for not other not things, for COVID. Not yeah, excuse me, not for COVID. Yeah, yeah, but for other things. Um, but uh, but anyway, so they they said that same thing about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan has their their science guy on and pins him down, and it's like no to call to say that I'm taking horse dewormer is dishonest. It's a, it's a lie. It's, it's deceptive. Um, yes, it is a horse dewormer too, but to say it's a horse dewormer is obviously meant to, to mislead people about it. It's a word game, right? And the guy actually finally admits it. Gupta admits that, yes, they should not have said that. And then Don Lemon pulls Gupta on later and has him like defend it. Like, no, 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 no. I didn't lie. I said it's a horse dewormer and it is, right? Right. And Gupta's like, well, yes. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's, it's just a, it's a semantic game, but it's a semantic game that Joe Rogan ultimately wins. Yeah. Like, like you said, they're, they're peers in some ways. And then in a, in other ways, CNN is the child in this, in this situation talking up to his parent, <laughs> like the, even the way they do it, where, where, uh, where Joe Rogan is sitting with Gupta for several hours having this conversation. Right. There's, you can't weasel around for several hours and avoid a question. It's just not, not possible. No, and it's, and it's so much easier when you're, when you're in a controlled, you know, recorded video that's three minutes long or right. you're writing an article that's going to be edited and vetted that you can get those semantic games perfectly. You know, we can yes. clearly mm-hmm. imply that ivermectin is basically is, is cuckoo town banana pants. But we don't actually have to say those words. Those words will never be traced back to us because of how carefully we do this dance. You're, in you're our right. No one will ever say those words. I, that's what I just said. See, are you disagreeing with me? No, no that's I'm, what I I'm agreeing with you. But but if you read those articles, that's what you're you're left with. That's the takeaway: is yeah. that anyone who says anything about ivermectin is cuckoo town banana pants. And yet. That's that's not what they actually said. But when you go and you have a three hour conversation about it, the the the, the really the implied lie of everything you've said becomes so transparent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no way to hide it mm-hmm. in that long of an exchange when the person knows and has data that they can be like, wait, look at this. Look at this. You can't tell me this is just a, a horse dewormer. Mm-hmm. It's dishonest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it is really interesting. Um, that whole thing that we're, we're seeing a, it's, it's a reckoning that's been a long time in coming, right? It happened to the newspapers first newspapers, then everything went online and there was a massive change. Um, it's now happening to the centralized media groups. Um, there's still a role for, uh, for groups with concentrated resources. That's what you mentioned. The daily wire, the daily wire is attempting to build that. So that they can do things like hire investigative journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, they were talking in a in a meeting just recently, uh, a backstage meeting, where about how um, how that was a big moment for them when they were able to hire their first investigative journalist. Because a normal journalist can produce an article a day, uh, an investigative journalist takes time, right? Not not so much, and it takes a lot more work to get any substance out. Um, but they're absolutely essential unless you just want to be writing about what other what other companies with more resources have talked about. No, and it, and it's um, and it's clear. I mean, it's something that that we're more than aware of because every time we make a podcast, we have to rely on yes. third party sources. We're not verifying, 
you know, anything on the ground. I'm not traveling around to see what actually happened here to understand. You yes. Know, I'm not traveling to Afghanistan. And so we rely on, okay, well, CNN sent a reporter to Afghanistan. Let's see what they said. And and that leaves us as commentators, which is not bad, but we're not primary sources. So for some someone like the Daily Wire to have their own investigative re- reporters who are first, you know, you know, not first degree, who are there, who are there, who are reporting, who are Mm -hmm. learning that information for themselves and who are primary sources. That's what I meant. Not first degree, primary sources, you know, of information. That's just, it's, it's really cool. And it does require a lot of money and a lot of organization. It does. It does. It it was, and it came up as useful immediately this, uh, this, this last little while where there was a story about a, a Loudoun County school meeting, school board meeting where a father was thrown out for uh, getting angry and arrested. And um, there was a, there was a story about it, about it being a trans, uh, the, the meeting, what was being debated was, was specifically uh, transgender bathrooms and stuff like that. Um, and the father was against it and had been thrown out and painted. There's this picture painted of him and they sent an investigative reporter to go look into it. And they found that his, his daughter appears to have been raped by somebody in girl's bathroom by a, a boy wearing a skirt who'd gone into the women's restroom. And like, it, it was, it's much more complicated mm-hmm. than what the than initial the narrative. surface thing had. And if you could, if you didn't have the resources to actually look into it and to send people there and to, and to, and to pull the details into it, you get a very different story. We see it with Barry Weiss too, where like, she'll talk to people who the, the official story was one thing. And then you dig into the details and you're like, Oh my goodness. This mm-hmm. is an entirely different thing than what we thought had happened. Yeah. Which is which yeah, is it, awesome that there are that there are people who are who are, you know, putting in the effort. You know, Barry Weiss is another great example of someone who's who's creating something. You know, she's hiring employees left and right, trying to create not just a podcast and not just a Substack, you know, account, but something more, something bigger. And I think it's a uh, it's very yeah. exciting. And it and it's very exciting. Even if you don't agree with with each of these groups, you know, we don't agree with everything the Daily Wire is doing. We're definitely not going to agree with everything Trump's truth network is <laughs> is doing. But the fact that it's there, we yeah. think is going to be a good thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, we in general, less gatekeepers is better. Yeah. Having having more options is better. Yeah. 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 It's interesting stuff. It's interesting. It's it's really changing changing the world around us in cool ways. Um, another thing that's interesting, uh, we talked about the vaccine mandate a little bit and I keep waiting for it to happen. And there are companies <laughs> that are imposing, uh, their own mandates. Yeah. There are, there are companies who are getting ahead and, yeah. and doing their own things, but none of those things have actually been required yet that, that, yeah. that Biden said this mandate's going to come out. OSHA's going to write it. And I assumed, okay, three days later, we're going to have a mandate from OSHA. And right. here we are still waiting. Yeah, I thought that was as good as the mandate being there. But but it hasn't. There is no mandate right yeah, now. There's, there's, yeah, there's no federal vaccine mandate requirement of any kind right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't know if there's a PR game there or what the delay is for. I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. But it's, it's weird. It's weird, especially because you'd think that it's time sensitive. You know what I mean? Yes, you're gonna you're gonna wait a year and then roll out your new COVID plan. 
especially yeah, because well, Biden, especially because Biden's hinged so much on this. You know, we've talked yes, about this before that yes. that he's pushed the, you know, the pandemic of the unvaccinated and the unvaccinated as being the root cause of all of our problems. You would think that there would have been quick rollout, and I just don't understand why there hasn't been. Yeah, yeah. The obvious solution is the mandate, which he speaks about, but then doesn't do. Um, and I wonder, I wonder to some degree if the, if the fact there is no mandate hasn't been lost in the noise, uh, and that he's, he's, he's maybe he's, he's getting intentionally points walking. For, yes. For walking a middle road. Yeah. He's getting points for saying it without having the catastrophe that would be if he does make it happen and it gets thrown out on constitutional grounds. Or, or it doesn't, and, you know, five million more Americans get vaccinated, and nothing fundamentally changes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then, then politically, he's screwed, you know what I mean? Because if he, if he does something and it fails, that's one thing. But if he's saying, hey, I am trying to do things, and... And, the, and it just can't. And yeah. it's, not, it's not working for bureaucratic reasons or whatever. Yeah, the Republicans are stopping it, the yeah. bureaucrats are stopping it. Yes, that gives him an out. That's a that's a good point. And if you did push the mandate, I don't know what would happen. I'd be curious. I think some states would would throw down the gauntlet, and maybe it'd just be talk. Maybe it'd be more than that with this issue. I don't know. No, and and part of it is is with this OSHA requirement is that it's it's not even going to be enough for what he says we need. You know what yeah, I mean? It's right. on paper, even if it's a hundred percent successful. It's not going to hit the numbers that he needs. You know, he's talking about crazy high, you know, like in the 90s percentages for people to be fully vaccinated for it to be effective. And that's just it's just not going to happen. You know, it's more mm -hmm. it's hard to predict what's going to happen. But that's one thing I'm very confident in saying is that's just not going to happen in the United States. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's I don't think so either. I think I think we're pretty much at where it's going to be, um, at least for the the near future no I, yeah i think if the mandate does eventually roll out you will get you, you will get an yeah, increase you'll get, you'll get a spike you'll get like a three or four percent increase mm -hmm. in that number but that's just not going to get us to where we need to be in terms of what he says we need yes right right yeah it, it's interesting stuff the the last thing that's worth noting is that we've talked about uh there have been a variety of spending bills this year uh joe biden is pushing uh, build the, back better. There's build back better plan, right? There's the there's the infrastructure and the build back better. There's there's two bills right now. I don't at this point the names he I don't know what it is about this the names this year, but I feel like every bill has a name, but then they shuffle them. Yeah, and the names get tossed around. And it's, it's, right. I don't it's know what confusing. the name of the bill is anymore. Is this the jobs plan? Is this the what is this? No, but and that's why I said build back better because that's what the terminology they're yeah. using now generally about. I'm not even sure if one of those bills is called that. I think that's just the name he has the for part the, of the plan for the, the his plan. plan. Yes, yeah. And these bills are a part of that plan, right? So there's the there's the 1.7 trillion. What was it? One point something trillion plan infrastructure deal. That one can go through. Then there's the other three three point something trillion plan. The, the, that one the, is not going the through. the bucket list one, right? And what what both <laughs> first off, nothing has happened. These are not moving anywhere. It's been, yeah, they've, there was they've there were dates stagnated. have come and gone. Yes, dates have come and gone. They're not gone, like the, especially the infrastructure one that could definitely mm -hmm. still be passed, but it hasn't yet. You know, it's taken a lot longer than I think most people expected. It's definitely taken longer than I expected. Right. There's a gridlock within the Democratic Party about 
passing both of them or neither among the progressive wing. We've mentioned that. What's interesting to me and what, what I wanted to point out just briefly is that Republicans in Congress are willing to pass the infrastructure plan. At least, at least some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's silly. We, <laughs> it's, we, how can you sign on to more spending? I don't, I don't know. I don't understand, but it's, it'll be typical Republicans. It, I wouldn't be surprised if you get the progressive party saying we're not going to vote for it. So we're not going to pass the infrastructure. And what you get is you get Republicans, you actually and end up middle of the road Democrats and you get a bipartisan infrastructure pass. bill. Yeah, exactly. That wouldn't exactly. surprise me. Um, but we'll see. It's these things were, <laughs> you read an article that cracked me up the headline. Biden keeps his foot on the gas pedal. Is that what it was yeah, titled? It's the title is Biden pushes private talks into the open as the White House keeps its foot on the gas. And and I was speculating that maybe the gas pedal was broken. Uh, Dan Dan <laughs> said that really I think he says that the cars actually lifted up in the shop and you know the it's wheels are turning or and, something and we're on nothing's ice. happening. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the case, it's it's uh, any news on this at this point is is posturing mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. uh it's nothing's really happening there yes because because moving the private talks to public is not really foot on the gas it's it's just trying to keep it alive is what it sounds like you know <laughs> right. what i mean that sounds like cpr right. keep it alive and try and uh try and expose particular politicians to criticism within their district which they that might which, get them which they did two weeks ago three weeks ago with mm-hmm. with the 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 democrats who were who were concerned about going all in you know who were like i i don't think we can even support you know this not the infrastructure one but the the other the one the three trillion one. Mm-hmm. one and and they were publicly skewered for several days and it didn't work right right Right. At this point, it is just a lot of noise. The wheels are spinning. There's smoke coming out. <laughs> Nothing's really happening. But what is happening, what I do see a surprising amount of articles from, and and that uh, is really interesting, is talk about the supply chains and inflation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is – that because it doesn't matter whether or not a bill is passed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's happening. That's right. That's right. real. This is happening. You can feel it. Um, it, it is interesting. Uh, I heard Andrew Yang, he was talking to Sam Harris in, in, in a conversation about this that I think is a good introduction to this topic where, uh, where people are, people are wondering, is it going to last? And what it, what is causing it? These are the two questions. Cause if you know what's causing it, maybe you can address it and you can help it. Um, more and more people are, are speculating that it will last. I see surprising sources, you know, sources, pro Biden sources suggesting that it will last, which is a bad sign uh, as far as the politics and optics of it go. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. Getting, it's getting harder and harder to see. To without argue some... that it's just transitionary and temporary. Yes, and... right. Right. Now, there are, obvious, there are obvious bottlenecks. We've talked about the great resignation, this, this problem of people are not working. And if they're not working, they're not producing. And if they're not producing, there's less goods and there will be shortages. And if there are shortages, the prices will go up. That's this is economics, most basic economics, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's more than that too. There there are other interesting things. There's the question of inflation, which when we say inflation, we don't mean 
price increase. We have words for that. Yeah, it's, it's more than just price increase. It's price increase because of an increase in money supply. Right. Now, right. luckily, luckily, we've already got a few ducks in the row that anyone can see, you know, in order to make that argument because everyone knows there's more money and prices have gone up. Right. You know, everyone can agree there's correlation. Whether or not one is causing the other is more complicated. Yeah, is more complicated, and we've we've gotten into the inflation arguments. How increasing the money supply leads to inflation, and what's interesting, this is what Andrew Yang said because it just cracked me up. He he was looking at it, and Andrew Yang is a reasonable dude. Um, I don't agree with virtually any of his positions, but I like him, <laughs> and he's and he will have a conversation with people in ways that most politicians don't. Yeah, yeah, he'll sit down um, and actually talk about it. In fact, he started this this. Worth noting, he started a new political party. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I was going to mention that. That was a detail. That was something you missed that's interesting. Uh, I don't know much about it. I think it's called the forward party, the idea implying progress. And it's he's aiming specifically in the same way Brett Weinstein was with his, uh, with his group towards changing systemic things like the way voting elections are had so that they're, uh, they're not first press post and they're there are multiple multiple member districts. The result being that uh, so there are some things you agree with Andrew matter. Yang about. <laughs> there are there are. I was thinking of his presidential bid, and the big thing he pushed was a universal basic in- income. But anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, Andrew Yang on this topic was looking at inflation, and he said, "I'm looking at the price increases, and I think that they're due to shortages in goods, not." federal government spending and the increase in money supply. And he said, but I'm, I'm open to evidence and, 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 you know, the, he, he didn't, he wasn't dogmatic about it, certainly. And he even said that he would, if he looked at more information on that, his mind might be changed. Well, if he happens to hear this podcast, he should listen to our episode on inflation because increasing the money supply leads to shortages, which is why the price goes up. The price doesn't go up automatically because there's more money out there. You have no idea how much money there is out there. It goes up because the increased money leads to increased spending, right? We have a certain amount of money that we think we should save at any given moment. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's the, the demand for money directly. Yeah. The people, people are comfortable with certain bank balances. Like this is something you can, you like, your yes. hypothetical mm-hmm. terms are confusing, but I know personally in my own life, you know, if, you know, I've got a checking and I've got a savings account, if that checking account starts to get real fat, you know, it's a lot easier to spend money. It just, it's a, it's a natural emotional <laughs> right. phenomenon where I just don't, I'm not as worried about spending money and I'll spend more. Right. There's a certain supply and demand for goods. There's a certain supply and demand for hard cash that you're not investing, that you're not, uh, doing other things with, you're not, uh, Spending, it's you're just hanging on to. Um, and for some people, that may even be a, a negative amount, but it's a certain amount of debt that they're comfortable with, right? It's the same. In practice, it's the same thing, even if you don't actually have cash on hand. Uh, it's that same number we're talking about. And you increase the amount of money in the world, and people will spend to that point, which increases spending, right? There's more buying. This is the entire point, if you're arguing from a Keynesian economic perspective, which is what we are fundamentally arguing against. They increase the money supply deliberately so that there is increased spending. So that there spending. will be more spending. That's the goal. A fi- 
yeah, there's a finite amount of goods out there, and this leads to shortages, right? You People are not making massive amounts that they have in stock. We've talked about this, that it's an illusion that the grocery store is well-stocked. It's, it's well-stocked because they're going to sell all of it, and they're going to sell it all very quickly. Mm-hmm. And if they find that they're not selling something, they're not, they're going to stop stocking that. Yeah, it's that super what they, high turnover that's hard to see, but it's always happening. Yes. Yes, it's hard to see because it's not visually appealing in part. And so part of the advertising is to make it look like your, your shelves are full. You keep, you keep one step ahead instead of one step behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but the result of increasing the money supply is shortages. So yes, we're having supply chain problems where there's not as many goods being produced as people wanted to make thinking that that would meet the demand for those goods. But then there is, on the other hand, an, in, a massive increase in the money supply. And an increase and that in demand. massive increase, yes, artificially stimulates the demand further. And that is going to lead to, that's going to increase the problem of shortages. No, and it was something that, it was something that I saw working at a furniture store. Sorry, I've got a jet flying over right now. And so my, my audio may, may be lower quality for a second, but I'm going to keep talking. Is that, we, you know, COVID came and we were really worried about our employment status. You know, we were worried what was going to mm-hmm. happen to the company as a whole and, and what was going to happen to our warehouse that we we're going to run out of work because people were going to stop buying furniture because people don't need couches to survive. You know what I mean? And so we're thinking people are going to hunker down. Instead, what happened is, is sales slowed down for a couple months, for a few months, and then it picked up really fast. And as people started to settle in, you had a lot of people working from home and you had a lot of people who weren't working, but were still making, you know, a large amount of money is in some cases, people were making more than they were making before. And you actually had a serious uptick in sales where we had really good quarters where I don't want to name the company, but where the furniture company was doing incredibly well and surprisingly well even in the midst of a pandemic. And it was super surprising. And then, you know, we had labor shortages because we couldn't get people to work to fulfill this demand. And that's something that we've been struggling with for the past year in a completely unexpected way, you know? And that's just a small example of what's taking place on a larger scale where people are buying stuff, but people don't want to work because of that increase in money supply. Yeah, and it's it's led to right now we're experiencing what is uh <laughs> I don't know why I hate this word but I hate it. Stagflation. Um it, it, we took the word inflation which meant something particular, an increase of money supply that leads to an increase of prices and such and 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 then we we made it mean just increased prices, which seems taking a perfectly good term with a technical term and making it mean something absolutely generic that you can express in two words. Uh, and then we have stagflation, which is a particular kind of inflation, but it's the idea where, where the prices of goods are going up and there are labor shortages. And from a Keynesian model of economics, that shouldn't be possible. It shouldn't be happening. Right. Cause what you do is when you need more spending, uh, you, you increase the, uh, the, the, the two, the, the jobs and, uh, inflation are things that you balance with the federal, the Fed policy. So the Fed policy is, you know, in, in good times, 
you increase the interest rates. And in bad well, not times, even in good times you lower to create good times. If you want more jobs, yeah, it's true. you increase money supply, that increases spending, and that creates more jobs. That's the argument that's made because right. there's more right. demand for these products. You know, just like just like you know, with my furniture company, there's more demand for these products, and so there is an uptick in hiring demand. That's true. Like my company is trying to hire people because they're selling more product and if they were selling less product they wouldn't need as many employees you know <laughs> right it, it, it does make sense how how keynesian models would get you there saying hey if people are spending more there's going to be a demand especially mm-hmm. in that short term and so the fact that there's that that's not happening and not in the sense of there's not a demand for hiring but people aren't working is weird but it's because of the weird incentives that have been put in place Right, right. The things to do with the episode we titled "The Great Resignation," the 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 way that uh, that people have incentivized not working, um, and in the decrease in spending and things that's happened because people are unsure of what to do with it, and it's just there's a lot of interesting pieces that are that are not common. Anyway, all of that is to say that. Inflation is playing a part of it. Inflation being the increase in money supply. It is playing a part. We increased it dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You can look at graphs of the, the total amount of currency and, and from what's been revealed by the Federal Reserve. Um, there are many trillions of dollars were thrown into it. Um, if I, I wish I had the numbers on hand because I think I want to say that it more than doubled how much currency is out there, but that seems, that seems high. That seems really we'll, high. We'll, we'll leave people to... You'll look that up and you can see what you can find on it if you're curious. Um, I'll have the numbers next time I talk about it. So all of that is part of the problem. The other part of the problem is what, what Brad was suggesting in terms of the, the warehouse trying to do the work. They can't find the people to do it. Somewhere among the, in terms of getting the goods, you get the raw goods and then they go through various stages of production that are going to eventually move them to the final consumer product where they will then be consumed. They will be used. They will be enjoyed. Um, and there are often many steps along the way. And COVID, as you can imagine, has broken down the chain at various points. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone closes down their imports and exports, then obviously that causes problems. If we're, if we're waiting for the imports to get to us, you know, we, we bring in a ton of stuff. There's the, there's the things we produced less of, which we're just going to have less of. Mm-hmm. And that's going to affect us immediately. There are artificial things like I know the meat, the cost of meat in part went up because the meat plants, the, the processing the, facilities, the processing facilities, right, uh, went down. But we, we don't actually have a supply problem. We have a breakdown in one of the stages of production. You know, it's funny that, that you mentioned that because I just heard something about, about, uh, I don't, you call them, uh, you know, cattle ranchers and, and other, mm-hmm. I want to say meat farmers, but that's not, it's not a right <laughs> term, but cause there's, there's more than just cows, obviously, but, but these, meat these farm. farmers, these ranchers who, who have the livestock are actually banding together to, to, yes. to build processing facilities because it's, because it's so bad. Yes. Right. Right. They can't get, if they can't, for them, they're just losing money and they're doing everything that they normally do. Mm hmm. Um, and so they're trying to get directly to the customer and bypass these these groups that are shut down. There's probably a couple industries where you're going to see significant changes, and that's definitely one of them, um, uh, where 
where people are going to try and get more. They're going to cut stages of production out of it, cut out middlemen, mm-hmm. so that uh, yeah, and there'll be so more vertical integration, which right. is something that I'm not at all opposed to. So I like the right. farmers doing that. I think is fantastic. Right, right. If they I can think get it'll it to be, work, and if get they it to can get it to work, I think it'll be better for them and better for for the consumer. Yeah, and often it takes an, an, some kind of artificial pressure uh, will come along and people will rethink things. Otherwise, I mean, if things are working, we don't necessarily uh, worry about how to make them better. But when you have mm-hmm. an emergency like this, you've got, you've got to find solutions. Um, but what's interesting is about the imports. And this is what I wanted to talk about, what we wanted to focus on, because it, it reveals something really interesting. We have in the L.A., and what's the other bay over there? There's another bay. There's two bays on the west coast. Is it is it uh, San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, San Francisco and, and L.A. Uh, it's interesting. We we don't we've talked about how geography is critical to wealth accumulation. To this day, major port cities are a big deal. Things are cheaper there. Things get there first, right? You don't have to transport them to other places. That used to matter a lot more, but our, our efficiency at moving things has increased dramatically. Um, and it, it could still increase further. And if it did, everything gets cheaper. Everything benefits from, from making the world a smaller place in terms of moving things, physical objects around. It's a big deal. And, and of course, obviously the digital world has enhanced things amazingly because you can move information digitally. You don't need to, you don't need to move it physically. No, but the, the physical world is still, is still super important. Still you know, a big deal. I, I keep talking about my warehouse, which is clearly applicable for this episode. Where my warehouse is located has to do with the ports. Our, our warehouse is located close to a, a station a train station where they unload containers. And there's this huge container yard that we can see from, from our warehouse. And so what happens is we have contracts with companies in Malaysia and China and, and all over the world. Then these factories, you know, produce the product. They load it up into a container. It goes to their local port. It, you know, travels across the world, across, across the sea, gets unloaded at this port, gets put on a train, and then that train brings it within two miles of our warehouse, gets taken off the train and brought straight over to the warehouse. So then it can then be once again distributed to a store or to a delivery truck and then to the customer. And so it's Mm -hmm. cool getting to see that whole process, but it's all built around how do we get, you know, from point A to point B, because there's such, I mean, they're incredible distances that your ottoman is traveling before it gets to your to your feet. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it is, it is, and that's interesting stuff. Um, the way and you would it makes sense that you'd be as close to that as you can get space. Um, it reduces your costs and yeah, across exactly. time. That's a big mm-hmm. deal. It's a big reduces deal. costs and and potentially can actually expedite things. Yes, yes, and makes makes getting goods in faster. Yeah, and. Port cities, so these ports deal with uh, upwards of 40%. I saw a couple different figures, so I'm not confident on which one is correct. But 40 plus percent of imports into the United States come through these two ports. Which is crazy. So what's happening in the ports? I, I can imagine a lot of different things. Maybe other, maybe there are just no ships yeah, coming in. Yeah, because everyone's familiar with the, the backlog. You know, that the, that the yeah. ports, you know, everyone's seen pictures of of all the ships who are who are just waiting to be unloaded and then you've got large numbers of containers that are that have been unloaded but that need to be put you know on the trains on the trucks to then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get to where they need to go right but it, 
people have heard about it, but it's not intuitive, at least not to me. I would think that it's at least equally possible that that it's empty, right? And we're just waiting for the ships from other countries who are struggling with COVID and have lockdowns and things to get their stuff to us. Yeah, and that's, that's, and that's not, not what's happening. That's the, not the, the stuff case. is there. The stuff is there and has been there for months in many cases, uh, maybe even longer in a few cases. Um, and it's just waiting to be unloaded. There are boats that are sitting there, not even not even docked, just waiting for their turn. Obviously, there's been a breakdown in moving things at that point, right? We've got a bottleneck, a very obvious one. You can visibly see out your window. And perhaps that's in part because there was a delay and then lots arriving at once or something. I, I'm not familiar enough with the, the details. But it's it's really, really bad at this point where... The shortage is literally because we can't unload them out of the boxes, get them onto the trains and get them spread out, uh, distributed across the country to where they, as you were saying, they then bloated into warehouses and trucks and to the stores, right? This is, this is one of the first steps. You get them out of the ocean. <laughs> so the solution seems very simple. You work – one this again, the physical world, right? We have, we have a geo – a geography problem here that there is x amount of space in this bay yeah yeah this is yeah because it's not even the bay that's the problem it's the actual it's the actual dock in the port where you have the resources yes. to unload you know you need space to put the containers you need giant cranes to unload these containers you know you can't be like hey we've got a beach over there let's have that container ship get as close to that beach and we're just going to start ferrying we'll open up the containers on the ship and just start bringing it out box by box <laughs> by hand no it doesn't work that way that would never right that would slow that, you down yeah immensely. that would never get even as close to efficient as as what these ports are doing cuz they're moving thousands of containers you know in a day right right and you can't simply increase the amount of work that's being done at a given time uh, because of the physical limitations uh, you can only throw so many more people and so many more cranes into the space before it becomes counterproductive, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let, let alone safe, <laughs> you know, let alone reasonably uh, safe for them to organize. Yeah, at it. a certain point, you'll just max out capacity. Right, right. So if this is a major problem, go, go well, ahead. I was, was going to put something. it this way. So if you had asked me, you know, a week ago or a couple weeks ago, what I thought was happening, I'd say, oh, well, you've got all these container ships waiting to be unloaded. You've got the the ports are working around the clock, but because of the backlog, because of the demand, they're just not able to do it. But they're they're maxed out. You know, they are working around the clock and they just can't get it all. There's too much. Yeah. Yeah. We take it for granted that they would be doing it as well as they could be doing it within reason. You know, maybe there's some innovation they're not applying or something, some technology they could use to make it a little better but that they would at least be working at it around the clock. And they're not, or they weren't. They <laughs> yeah, weren't. They are now. They are now. They it looks like they've been doing it for, for about three or four weeks that they, that they are working around the clock now. And by that mean, we mean that up until those few weeks ago for all through this, this pandemic. And then even before the those two ports were not working 24/7 and for anyone who works in in many of these these fields you understand how crazy that is you know what i mean i work in a warehouse that operates night and day because the warehouse only has so much capacity for people to be doing work and 
if you have the warehouse that's closed at night and is not having anyone doing anything in that warehouse, you're you're it's a it's a wasted resource, wasted you know, you've got all this equipment that's not doing anything. And the end result is that you would actually need a bigger warehouse in order to do the same amount of work, but just during the day. And so they operate it day and night because that's the most efficient way to get the work done and to increase their volume. Mm-hmm. So to, to the fact that we have two ports coming into the United States that are one of the biggest bottlenecks, not just for, for my company, but for basically the United States the economy. United States, yeah. <laughs> and they're just working during the day. That's insane. That is it just is insane. It's just insane. Hearing that, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that they weren't working through the night. Yeah, so so what was it that changed their minds? Because they can work at nighttime. There's, we invented light a long time ago. You, yeah, you yeah can, there's, there's no logistical the problem with working <laughs> right, at right. night. Like, they, right. like the, the ports before this were not working eight-hour days and that's it. They were working something like 16-hour days, you know, give or take a few hours. So they were working in the darkness already, just not all of it, you know. They weren't utilizing all of that time. Right. And it, and it raises some questions about it, about if that decreased the amount of imports by itself, you know, that they were, or if that was, I mean, if that's sufficient to get the work done, then fair enough. But it's weird, like you were saying, because you, you're not, you're not doing all the work you could be doing mm-hmm. in a given space when you're working, when you're not working 24 seven, I mean, you can, you're working at max capacity for 16 hours. Why aren't you working the other eight? If there's not enough work, fine. But then there was more than enough work. They've got a backlog of, of months. Right? They're talking about six months to clear this backlog, now working 24-7. Were they waiting for an invitation? <laughs> so what you get is you get Joe Biden negotiating with them to get them to work. Yeah, at least that's the narrative. That's that's the the headlines, right? Uh, yeah, we'll share we'll share one um, <laughs> uh, that talks about this and and how uh, how he met with them and negotiated with them. And and by them, we're talking about the the union, the yes. unions, the uh, the ILWU. The what's what's the acronym stand for? For Dan, you're the acronym king. The international. <laughs> Thank you for appreciating hey, that joke. Hey, shots fired. OSHA, I don't I don't know. It's the International Longshore and I can't remember. I looked at it. And no. Worker Union? And we're uh, yeah, Longshoremen. We got a, we got a W in there. Longshore and Warehouse Union. Oh, International Longshore close. and Warehouse. Longshoremen and Warehouses Union. Okay, I just Longshore, not Longshoremen. The Longshoremen are the people who work for it. Are you sure? Because I'm, I'm reading a quote from Biden saying, I particularly want to thank labor, Willie Adams of the Longshoremen and Warehouses Union. Eh, maybe. I'm pretty sure the official name is... Okay, then I'm not going to worry is, about it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't... The teleprompter was wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, either you're way, they know your who they're talking about. That you know better than Biden's teleprompter. <laughs> And then now, I don't know. now we got shots fired against I'm, against. I'm looking Biden's at a Wikipedia page, and I've been looking at this all day. I don't know why they would call it Longshoreman I, Warehouse. I, I feel like we could make a few jokes here about Wikipedia versus uh, 
teleprompters because <laughs> neither have great reputations, to be fair. <laughs> it's true. It's so. true. It's true. I do think Wikipedia is generally reliable, but you never know. You never quite. Can't be 100% sure. Uh, All right. Anyway, so th- that's – and that's what's interesting, right? The, the, he's negotiating with who? He's negotiating with Union. Why isn't he negotiating with the people who run the dock? And the answer is, well, he is. <laughs> he is negotiating with the people who run the dock. And it's the union. Mm-hmm. Employed by who? Employed by the cities. Yeah, so so the city runs the port, and the city has negotiated for decades with these unions. And so now you've got this balance of power between the unions and the cities. And if you if you don't believe that that the unions have a large amount of say and a large amount of power just listen to this quote it's from uh, i think it's from the LA Times and we'll yeah, have this a link is an article to it. written like 6 years ago that was just exploring this as an interesting thing mm-hmm. in 1960 the ILWU cut a deal that paved the way for a revolution in shipping for centuries longshoremen had used Highly labor-intensive methods when loading and unloading ships, nets, metal hooks, and pallets. The union offered to embrace use of containers. They didn't invent the use of containers. They just were willing to embrace them in exchange for higher pay and benefits, along with richer pensions and buyouts for displaced workers. The strategy continues to define the union's approach. In 2002, contract negotiations negotiations broke down in part over computer systems intended to replace clerical workers who tracked cargo. The deal led to the elimination of hundreds of clerical jobs, but the union negotiated substantial increases in pension benefits and held on to free health care. This is fascinating to me. Because where I work, you know, employees, you know, lower management, we're always, you know, looking for things to make our jobs easier. And so if the company says, hey, we're doing a software update that's going to make your lives better, or we've got these newer RF guns that's going to make your job easier, we're like, fantastic, thank you. You know, how can we help you get this rolled out? <laughs> we're not like, hold on, hold on. You said it's going to make our jobs easier. Well, let's talk about this. If you I, want us to start using these new RF guns that's going to make us more productive, what are we going to get for it? Because otherwise, we're not going to do it. And that's what the union's approach has been for decades. You know, in the 1960s, they said, hold on, you want to use shipping containers. That's going to drastically increase the efficiency of this port instead of us loading pallets with nets and hooks. What do we get? I'm going to get out of shape. So you've got to compensate. You're going to need less employees. And so (laughs) we're going to have less employees. So what what are we going to get in exchange for that? Right. I just imagine the worker on the dock being like, oh, my gosh, you mean I don't have to pick everything up by hand? Let's do this. And the the union guy steps in and is like, no, 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 no. We will grant you this. If you give us something. And, and it's not, it's not a matter of we're saying, oh, people who are getting displaced have, have no, have no livelihoods that matter. We're not saying that at all. We're saying how weird it is that they can demand things like that. You know, imagine right. if, if when the, the car came out, the horse and buggy said, Hey, we have a monopoly over the roads. And so if you want to use your cars on the roads, 
what are you going to give us in exchange? Because we're going to be out of work if your cars are vastly inferior, if your cars are vastly superior to what we're already using. So what are you going to give us in order for us to grant you this privilege? That's the way these unions are negotiating. It's from a position of power. As if if it were their port. You know what I mean? Like this is the city's port. (laughs) The city owns the port. They own the equipment. This is just the workers' unions. Who are yes. who are saying, "Hey, you know, we call the shots here." Yeah, because it sounds like it sounds like a useful solution to the supply shortages would be for the cities to have immediately when there is a backlog said, "Start working twenty four seven. And that seems like the end of it. And they go, "Well, some of them are going to quit." Okay, let's hire. There more. There happens to be there happens to be, and you can look into this. There happens to be a massive amount of dock workers wanting to take these positions. Yeah, yeah, we we haven't even talked about how much these dock workers are making. Yeah, yeah. The base pay yeah. for a, for a unionized dock worker over there is uh $46.23, which on a normal work schedule breaks out to about $96,000 annually. So as someone who's worked in a warehouse, I can tell you that is very 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 high extremely high that's that's more than many white collar jobs than most white collar jobs right right. the average pay for a unionized worker for the in this union is a hundred and seventy something thousand dollars a year a hundred and seventy i think it was a hundred and seventy one thousand yeah yeah which is insane which is insanely high yeah yeah so you've got a mix of people on these docks you've got the unionized workers and you've got the non-unionized workers. And the unionized workers are making almost twice as much. So you'd think, well, well, certainly, if I were a non-unionized worker in this circumstance, I would join the union. Right? Do I would I like to, to make almost twice double my as pay? Money for the same job. Why yeah, why yes, I would. The problem is that there's a line. And they only do hirings every once in a while. Why? Because they couldn't guarantee their workers that much money if they had to divide it up among more people there's only so many valuable shifts it ends up being a kind of licensure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the same way that that getting a taxi cab license in new york is a kind of licensure there's only a certain amount of them why because if you made more of them the job would be less valuable you are literally artificially decreasing the number of people in this thing so that those things are more valuable um, it's one of the licensure always does this, mm-hmm. but usually it doesn't just do this. And in, and in the case of the taxi cab drivers in New York, it just does that. It's not that there aren't qualified drivers out there, right? It's that it's that it costs like a million dollars to buy a taxi cab license because they're so valuable because it gives you permission to do this thing that most people don't have permission to do. And in a similar way, this uh, joining this union is to get into an exclusive group mm-hmm. that excludes people so that it can pay the people it includes more. Yeah, it excludes people who are doing basically the same job. Right. Right. It's just it's it's so interesting. I mean, let me interject a quick disclaimer here. If what you're listening to is you're like, oh, I know where this is going. These two are gonna try and dunk on unions. That's not the case. Yeah, we're definitely dunking on this union and this We're instance. definitely dunking Absolutely. on this union because some None of this makes sense, <laughs> right? You look at this and you're like, there's a problem here and there's an easy solution. People should do the work that's there. Mm-hmm. 
And if, and if we need more people, hire more people. Like this is important stuff. This is, mm-hmm. this is the supply chain of 42% of the economy. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, or 40, 40, whatever percent as high as I saw estimates as high as low fifties. Um, why isn't this work being done? Oh, because a union is working cushy hours that they've negotiated with the city and the city seems to lack the power to tell them. Or the initiative. Or the initiative. Because, because a city right. government does not have the same incentives that a business has. Right, right, right. If if you switch the incentives, that's like when we first read this, we we're like, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. Like, how has how have they just started working as if what they're doing matters? Yeah, is there is there like I was wondering, is there kind of some kind of state law that's granted them a monopoly? As far as I can see, that's not the case, and I could and we could be missing something. But yeah, but they consolidated the the unions into this union mm-hmm. that represents both ports. Mm-hmm. But but and you're right that as far as official like laws go, we haven't found anything. Yeah, but I think it is more than anything else is that this is the established relationship between these port cities and these unions. Yeah, it's interesting. In some ways it's the it's the classic labor vision. Uh people have there, there's two stories of labor told about uh, unions in the United States. And one of them is the, the rise of unions and, and all the good they did. And the other mm-hmm. is the rise of unions and all the bad they did. And, mm-hmm. and both and both are true. Both are true. You can find lots of things about both. Um, and there's, there's interesting uh, gray lines and things and constitutional cases that dealt with this. And a lot of it goes down in some of these big cities, big areas like San Francisco and New York, big ports, Boston. Um, and, uh, it's it's just interesting to see one of the, th- the things that immediately happens is as as in part going with the intellectual movement of of uh progressivism in the 1930s and and that era uh labor is all the rage and mm-hmm. there youth like the other countries still have labor parties we don't um that's kind of been integrated into the democratic party in a lot of ways um and uh it's just interesting to see the amount of political power the unions have at the city level of government. Yeah, how much control do they have? In places like New York and San Francisco, and apparently still today, I didn't know that it was still today, they wield tremendous political power. And you can't simply tell them what to do. There, no, there and, are other and- unions that are national that wield a lot of political power, like teachers' unions, but... But this is odd that a group like this is still has that much power. Anyway, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, right, what's happening right now makes sense. There's this established union that controls the workers in these ports. There's huge demand in these ports. And so it makes sense that they would have to negotiate and give up something to say, okay, now you have to start working overtime. That all makes perfect sense, right? Because, because let's mm-hmm. say there is a labor dispute and that union goes on strike for six hours. How much does that cost? Well, what if that strike turns into a week? And then now that mm-hmm. six-month backlog turns into a, a seven-month backlog. You know what I mean? There, there are yeah. huge ramifications. They there's, can't, there's real negotiating power. You know, right now, the union mm-hmm. has never been more powerful because they need them. We can't take three months to hire and train a new crew. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But, But that's not always the case. This is an unusual circumstance. The story that I think is fascinating here, the story that tells you a lot about that power dynamic, is the story of the 1960s. Because in the 1960s, when they cut that deal, 
that union and those workers were not trained on the containers. They're not like, hey, we're experts on these containers. <laughs> and so we're the only ones who can do it. They had no experience with them because they had insisted on not using them. And so what's crazy is you have a bunch of 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 workers who are literally unexperienced on what you'd like to implement that you have not implemented yet. So what we're talking about is is probably a years-long conversion process for these ports, which means that you could train and hire an entirely new workforce during that time period. Like, it's not time-sensitive at all. And yet they chose, instead of doing that, to offer incredibly, incredibly extensive packages and deals and pay increases and pa- and buyouts and payoffs to this union in order to buy their permission to upgrade your own port. And that's insane. It is. And that is, it is. And that is simply yeah. insane. To yeah, this day, to this day, the union has conditions that stop the ports from, from dealing with um, automated ships. I'm not sure what the exact language is, and I'll, I'll attach the link from this article that talks about it, that to this day, the union has, has rules that stipulate they won't work on these automated ships. Yes. And that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, and it, it makes sense from the perspective of the union. Like a union's job is to uh, secure as many benefits oh, as they can for the people absolutely. who are part of it. The union, this union is doing an excellent job you know, <laughs> for just, for securing really things for their for their for their workers. Like that is the union to be a part of. If you're yeah, going to be right. a part of a union, right. be a part of that one. Right. They will right. take care they, of you. If you want, if they want, if you're going to work weekends, they have to pay you time and a half. Doesn't matter yes. how many hours you worked. Weekends Even if it's your first hour of the week, if it's on a weekend, yeah. you're getting time and a half. It's time and a half, and like as you said, not nights. Even though that's the norm in in this kind of scenario, um, it, it's truly this union has gone above and beyond. The reason it has it, the reason it has succeeded is is because is well, there's a couple of reasons, but but two of them that are really important. One is that you can't move this somewhere else, right? If if you had a union like that at some place in the US and they really couldn't seem to get around it what they'd do is they'd move the country overseas they'd, they'd move the, the business yeah, overseas yeah they'd close that warehouse yeah they'd be like okay it's, it's we're done not here. cost effective anymore yeah we're done here we're losing money and and this is just silly we're going to go and we're going to employ somebody else and that would be that and uh that can't happen you can't close the port you can't move the bay right <laughs> you, this 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 is the best spot. Bays are incredibly important for how much easier they make bringing shipped goods in, right? The large ships that can't come so close can come closer in a bay and then you can, you can do things way easier. It's just, it's, it's, we're not to the point where you can bypass the geography of bays. No. And then, and then the other problem, Dan, is that how unions are supposed to work is they're supposed to be the point of unions is that you organize labor so that they can come to the table as almost equals to negotiate with the businesses as at least right. a peer, right? As someone who also has leverage and power. Yes. And yes. that and that is good. We have no problem with that. We think right. that is something that unions have actually contributed is being able to have that kind of organization. And it's in that sense a natural development for workers to band together and and work together and we don't agree with all the laws that are in place regarding unions or 
for that matter, regarding... right to work laws. You know, we don't right. think we either of them are perfect like... in any sense. Yes. But yeah. in general, we're not anti-union. But what you have here is not a union organizing workers to come to the table to meet with a business who has its own goals. What you're talking about is a union that is organizing the workers who are coming to the table with government officials who are also being lobbied by the union at the same time. You you have that (laughs) regulatory capture where next thing you know, the union is in many senses, not literally, but in practical senses on both sides of the table. And that's right. how you end up with deals like this. Right. Joe Biden is not negotiating with the city and like, hey, could you get this work done? He's negotiating with the unions. Because the unions are the ones who have the power. The unions in, in practice are in control. They're the ones that own the dock for, for all intents and purposes. And like you said, it's it's particular to the political incentives, right? The A, a business, a politician can always raise taxes. There, there's to some degree, there's an unlimited pocket. You, you're never confronted with the the economic realities of profit and loss as a government entity. You're con- you are confronted with the inconvenience of displeasing your residents through an increase in taxes. Mm-hmm. Right? That's no that one is likes a cost. that. That is a cost, but it's different. But it's different, and it has different solutions, right? And if you can be seen to be favoring a union in a state like California, it may not even be a cost. It may be a may be a benefit to be like, yes, we're taking care of this. This union Especially is really if strong, it's a long-standing, and very powerful, and very financially well-off union that can make or break your political career just yeah, by it, themselves. Right. Right. What's unique about it is that. The nation is held hostage to it in this weird circumstance where, where, where they could be using technology that's better, right? And they're not. They're not because they don't want to, because it would reduce the number of people that they, they employ, right? They've, or, or because I guess they haven't worked out a sufficient benefit package. As, yeah, to, a, suf- a sufficient to reason off. to do so. Right, right. The pressure hasn't mounted enough to where, to where the city be willing to bend to whatever their demands are in this, in the, to make it happen. And it's, they could be working around the clock and they're not, they are now. Yeah. I don't know what benefits were traded for that. Yeah. We don't know what that negotiation was. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird. You've got this, <laughs> this very strange situation where that, that, sh- that just shouldn't exist. It just shouldn't mm-hmm. be there. The, mm-hmm. And what's, what's missing is the economic incentives. The economic incentives were different. If it were standard business union relationships, this would have been worked out. It would have been fine, but there's no, there's no profit incentive there to make money and to, to reduce costs. There's no, uh, and there's no, there's no real negotiation. Yeah. And if it were a regular union, that, that would have been worked out as soon as the demand picked up the, the city would have, you know, the business, if it Mm -hmm. wasn't Mm -hmm. a city would have been like, okay, this is what we need. Let's come to a reasonable understanding. And, and, you know, and they probably would have given the union something. You know, it's, we're yes, not saying they that have. they shouldn't right, right. have. There shouldn't be a negotiation. We're not saying that at all. We're saying right. the fact that it took, you know, a year for there to even be this negotiation, you know, for the president of the United States <laughs> have to get involved in order to agree on working some overtime in order to allow 40% of the nation's imports to to happen at a at a necessary pace. That's so weird. It's, it's, it's just really, it's it just weird. counterintuitive on so many levels. It is weird. It is weird. It's interesting. Un- unions are really interesting as a political force. They, uh, um, if you look at donations, um, 
often when we're talking about donate donations to, to political campaigns, we're looking at, at specific things. We're looking at individual donors because it's often celebrities or famous, you know, Jeff Bezos, how much did he give? Who did he give to? Mm-hmm. Um, we look at companies. If you look at, at, uh, at all donors who donate large amounts, um, it's been, it's been years since I've looked at this list. I should, I should pull it up and maybe we can link it, but, um, unions give ridiculous amounts of money mm-hmm. to political groups mm-hmm. comparable to the biggest businesses. Yeah. Just like the big businesses. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. They, they function exactly the same in terms of political lobbying. Yeah. Which is buying influence. Yeah. yeah. In the crudest and, of terms. In the crudest of terms. And, and it's, uh, and it's often unions that are uh, that they're federal unions, right? They're things like the teachers' union. Yeah, and we've talked about the teachers' union and the power it, it it has in stopping things like you know charters and and vouchers. You know, we had that right. episode a long time ago, <laughs> right? And it's it's bizarre. Like taxpayer dollars go to these groups, who then the, some of that taxpayer money is then funded into mandatory. Often in the federal with federal jobs and things, you you can even have mandatory uh, membership in a union. So the the dues are subtracted just like your taxes are, mm-hmm. and then that money is used to lobby for the benefit of that government group. What is essentially a government agency? Yeah, at that point, it's no longer. It, it's yeah, it's, it, it's become more more it, complicated at 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 best. Yeah, it, it's a weird circle. It's a it's kind of sick. Um, yeah, anyway, political donations are are an interesting mess, but that's one one of the problems that I feel like people in general would be like, that seems wrong, unless it's helping their guys. And then, <laughs> and then they're happy to give it a give it a pass. No, and, and and maybe that's that's part of why we took this time to just highlight this one issue is that you know, over the past two years, time and time again, we're being offered very simple explanations for what's going on. You know, COVID has caused the economy to struggle. You know, um, the unvaccinated are the cause for all of these problems for why, you know, Joe Biden hasn't been able to stop COVID. You know, each mm. of these one sentence sound bites that are missing so much, you know, COVID did not cause the economy to stop all of these different things from the individual fear that people had to government lockdowns to different kinds of restrictions that made it very difficult for factories to stay open of different kinds, you know, the different countries in the world and the things they were doing. All of these were factors that had a huge effect on what happened in 2020 that weren't being talked about, especially for a long time. And here Mm -hmm. we have that again, where we just say, okay, well, we've got these, these shortages. And it's like, okay, but that's not the full picture of what's going on. You know what I mean? If you want to understand the shortages, you have to also be looking at the unions that are set up in these ports. You know, um, it's interesting. Just re- recently, uh, DeSantis in, in Florida made a, made us, made an announcement about, he said, Hey, we have capacity. Our ports in Florida have capacity. Any of you guys who are sick of waiting, come over here. We'll take care of you. We're not going to give you the runaround like California. And I thought that was fantastic. You know, even if right. it takes months for some of that, for some of those ships to, you know, maybe it's the next next wave of ships coming over. Some might end up going to Florida instead of California, and that's and that's awesome because maybe that little bit of of competition will help strip away some of that power. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of a, a American history thing where where people were under the assumption that by by passing the Constitution, what they were going to be able to do is make with with centralized control. What you would do is you would uh, decrease the taxes between the states. Like the, you know, there'd be free trade uh, within the states. There was free trade before that, but but somehow they sold people on this idea. And uh, and then what they did is they raised the tariffs on the ports mm-hmm. because what had happened before was the competition between the between ports the different states kept tariffs low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. So so Boston and New York uh, were competing, and yeah, so to have some competition thrown in there like this, it maybe maybe useful though. I I don't know how expensive it is to go through the Panama Canal these yeah, days. Yeah, there are, a, there are a lot that of factors distance. that yeah. that could complicate that. You know, absolutely. But hopefully, hopefully it is a legitimate threat that then moves things, makes things more efficient elsewhere. Absolutely. With that, thank you for listening. It's good to be back. We'll see you next week. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.